Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. Good evening. Welcome to The Poetry Project. My name is Ariel Goldberg. I'm the Wednesday Night Coordinator, and I'm so thrilled to have Cedar Saigo and Angela Carr here tonight. So Angela's going to read first. Chaos and monotony. How stopping and starting can form a pace. The pacing takes care of you, and it doesn't. You go on in a way, and then you are dropped. You can think about one thing forever, or you can choose to move on to the next. The reading experience with Angela Carr is like doing one of those wooden puzzles that, when taken apart, is really hard to put back together, but when put together, seems really simple to compose. Highly attuned to the form, even of me standing here now, setting the stage for Angela, echoed in her first book, The Rose Concordance. She writes, our mouths before the microphones, bodies paralleling images of tall and slender fountains. How superfluous is the authority of our speaking voices? How superfluous our height? I'm really quite fragile behind this microphone. And what do we do with the superfluousness? How do we lend it gravity? Or how does one move while waiting on hold or for a book at the non-circulating library? Before that, how do they arrive and how do they look out the window? What is lurking underneath almost like the tagline to a horror movie that would not seem horrific at all? The rabble of the eye, impulse to portray singularity. This character sketch is often interrupted by cataloging the space and time that stills her. The relationship between Iris, who you will meet tonight from Carr's new book, Here and There, and the narrator, who sometimes appears, like a cross-stitch ending the tying of the knot with Iris, or as Iris is named later in the book, as much a name as an archive. When one perspective appears in another, the infinitesimal on a film strip being edited and spliced. Iris gets sort of abandoned as the focal point for this book, and for the sake of us seeing the world, she moves within halfway through here and there. Carr writes, naming is a poverty of invention. What happens with naming by not naming is how it's this reference always to money, the hovercraft around us, the name being evasive, speculative, punitive, real hours and time. Carr writes, if we were even to consider authenticity a perimeter. Please help me in welcoming Angela Carr. Thank you so much, Ariel. Um, I sat, you know, I sat at home and I thought, should I start at the beginning of the book or the end of the book? The, the thing being that the end of the book is more like a poem and the beginning is a poem that wants to be fiction. Um, and so I decided to start with the poem part of the book, which um, I wrote just a brief, a few words um, during the six month long student strike in Montreal, it was about two or three years ago now, um, when everyone was wearing a red square. And at the same time, I was doing research about um, the first coins that were in circulation. And I learned that they had geometrical shapes stamped into them instead of numbers. So this poem was um, sort of playing on the correspondences between this square that became to mean so much and yet so little, right? And, um, and the money that was you know, at issue behind the strike. Just after a layer of dark cloud, there's a break in the silence. A dog barking overheard, overheard through the woods, close to Route 6. Just after the two sisters have unfurled their kites and established that one string is markedly longer, so long, in fact, the kite would fly above the cloud if unwound. Just after the two sisters have disputed and confirmed the relative reach of their kites, just after we arrive via our downward trek to the beach and the relative status of our kites high and low, $7.99 for this kite, $23.99 for that. Just after the phone does not ring and no one writes, just after the paint peels from the walls, just after the walls peel from the posts and the bed is standing alone in a field of lilacs. Just after the fantastic 
has succeeded in following every accident to the real. Just after, before the long after described by Rimbaud, just after the Paris Commune of 1781 is defeated by Versailles, which is more like well after or certainly after, after a certain time. After a time, there is this word peeling from that field, and there is my vocabulary peeling from its debt, our feelings from my memory. Just after I wrote, overheard a dog, I wanted to add, but can one overhear a dog? To overhear is to hear something one is not privy to. If I own no private land, what am I privy to? Or is this poem private? What is its status? Is it high or low? Just after the cracked structure becomes something we are privy to, and just after overhearing becomes a form of misplaced hearing. Just after I wrote a form of, I wanted to add, what shape is that? This was a crack in the language of Quebec that I am privy to, so to speak. Just after the industry of robins at the window and beyond the screen door's softness. Just after triangular branching repeats an idea of rough origins, its delicate naming. Just after the naming of this cracked structure peels from what we are privy to, asymptotic and manifest. Just after, and what does it mean to write an occasional poem? And what does it mean to have the privilege of distance from which to reflect and write? The privilege of distance from which to overhear. To be privileged to a language that is the language of a nation as though one were a part. This crack in my respect is a dangerous becoming that I am privy to in order to speak. I must, or the real translates my respect as a form of apartness. I must, in a ritual sense, the grammar of music. If I begin again, it's because money has its local specificity. At first we weighed money, and then we only needed to see money to determine its value. We saw money alone, and we saw money connecting needs. We saw the noun of money form from the connecting and. That was the first noun, just after we saw it separately. Just after the mayor forbids protests in his city and souci sprout through the civic cracks. Worries are cellular and solicitous, incited by the demands of legal insistence. Worries wedged between names and debts. After a time, we saw only the first signs, squares and rectangles stamped with bars of hard metal onto soft drops of precious metal. So I'm going to read a bit from the beginning. This part's called Signs of Interest. Iris gave her attention to the news. Iris gave her attention to relatives on the telephone. Iris gave her attention to writing letters. Iris gave her attention to protests. Iris gave her attention to the institution. Iris gave her letters to officials. Iris gave her time to relatives. Iris gave her letters to institutions. At last, the storm was passing. Iris was late, according to her relatives. The meal was nearly over. The car was damaged. Her, her experience was documented in a letter that described the future passing, future passing over her beyond reach. There was no ceiling within sight. Interest was floating over her. It was another name for time. The herd is numberless, since to whisper is grammar. It is a description of time. It underwrites everything. It is simple and declarative. It is read and digital. It is the emptying of contingency and escape. Is this mosquito? Iris gave herself to laughter. Iris gave herself to rejecting the apparatus while fantasizing about convent life. Iris characterized the, na the nation's sudden and unified decision to vote differently as a residual Catholic tendency. The unrecognized nation within a larger recognized nation had voted for an unknown socialist federal party. 
the unrecognized nation voted cynically and in unison and formed the official opposition within the recognized nation. I gave my attention to the pause. I gave my attention to fro the frozen Skype image. I gave my attention to waiting. We were on hold. We could see but not touch, and yet touch was composing us. We were broken only where skin could not answer. Iris's skin is ornamented with tattooed threads mingling with each other in scrolls and coils and alternating with straight lines. An image is truly raw and visible, fibers and sinews, strips and straps. The sense of beauty merges with and is consumed by this sense of reminiscence. Iris shuts down her computer. Iris stands up, stretches her neck, shoulders back. Iris shakes, shakes the cramps from her elbows. She releases, recollects. Iris walked away from the interrogation desk. Iris reboarded the bus. Iris gave her attention to the regularity of upholstery on the ceiling and chairs. Iris gave her attention to the dominance of upholstery. Iris gave her attention to the relative invisibility of patterns. We shifted our bags and shrugged off our coats. We attended to our travel documents. We were re-emerging as individuals from persons with spatial origins. I gave my attention to the purse at my foot and to my legs stretched awkwardly in the aisle. I gave my attention to the coat folded under my head and to the pinched circulation in my leg. I gave my attention to the smell of nail polish, of varnish. I gave my attention to the toxicity of full, inelastic, and completely rigid forms. I heard the elevation of activity to durability. I heard cannons forming from important consequences. I heard great upper structures supported by terraces. I heard intermediary figures moored at the bottom of thought, retaining meaning reductively and symbolically. I heard supporting parts of words, shadows, and letters. I followed their indications. I heard an almost exclusively mechanical technique and a less frequent offering of poetry. I heard elements of bottom, least, superficial, of profundity, terra, and truth. I heard truth in the word varnish. I heard the greater detail of the place name terra, the fabric of language. I saw us through the gap created by the place name. I chose to tear through the textile with the nail of that name. We heard truth in the word tearing. Banknotes, flags, and passports could be torn, but the hard material of coins, screens, and credit cards could not. We followed glass, a material that cannot be torn, to its beginning with geometry. We secured rectangular windows versus the complexity of leaves, which can be torn. We heard the end of the poetic line as it turns relentlessly, whether cutting, breaking, or tearing. We read the ear of the other. In any case, the proper name is the only thing that does not change in translation, said Jacques Derrida. Even numbers may change. We read an essay by Norma Cole about Samuel Beckett, who turns the ten nights of Le Bateau Eve into nine. We heard green, tear in the word ephemeral. Vertebrae of spring cast their shadows on the place name. We can follow this spine where the flesh of the greater body is ephemeral. We can follow the ephemeral and describe it from a point of view created by the place name. There is no more pattern in any torn fabrication. We can follow the hoax, be taken in, swindled. To be green, to be gullible, to be young. I heard the subway passing beneath the building six stories below. I heard the insistence of near and distant memories. Interest shuttled past rapidly. I gave my attention to credit. I inscribed my signature on the screen with a bare finger. I credited my senses with the accumulation of fluctuating reflections. Credit erected a temporary structure over memory. Iris leapt risky lengths joyously and fell into dereliction. This was her pattern. We descended into credit. 
We feigned communities of ownership and compared our names within the false safety of collectivity. We were the minions of solidarity or we were the champions of solidarity. We were compact, balmy atlases. Iris gave her attention to the nation. A hard surface is forever worn by a fluid surface that has no form. Iris gave her attention to the country. The country was not more or less abrasive than the nation, nor was it more or less abraded. Iris described the nation as a feeling of ritualized familial pressure, a vibrational fluid state with no visible imprint, however disputatious like the law. I read, metabolism, intellectual, depression. The descriptive function was monophonic, and joints in the city's water pipes were made of lead. Iris described the coat of arms that belonged to her atrophying family. It was ornamental but void in the center. Across a vacant middle ground, swords raised majestically and a lion's head emphatically repeated. Ribbons, sharp points of blade ends, a curling yellow frame, a billowing leaf, the first three letters of atheism, a splinter of wood, ether, a glazed roof, a support, a cavity, an allergen, an email, holding up the heavens, cruelty, extremity, extremity, exclusion. Here begins as I am questioning its softness. Here children are sleeping. Here citizens asleep. Here is inhabited the relief of home. Here brocades resilient surfaces of, of sleep. Here the tireless border guards. Here the nation is a fog that does not disperse by midday. Here labor invokes the focus of, of attention. Here is the intention of wooden furniture in a forest, a production of semblance. Poetry, distillation, desire, I've invited you here. Here is the way attention folds on itself, light indisposed to beauty. The library ceiling was aqua and gold. Iris gave her attention to symmetry. Symmetry was a factor of excessive influence, a flat weaving of desire. Symmetry bides its time for a perfect illusion. Yet the act of waiting has no parallel. It is an instance of asymmetry. Iris gave her attention to the singularity of a unique action. A bias is a systematic distortion in the social fabric. Ambition is a determination and upward measure. Iris gave her attention to the century. Let's compile an index of its errors. Iris gave her attention to suppleness, not truth, but the fact of weather without borders. Here pages were cracking. Water creaked through the pipes in the building. There were 156 units. Every amatory relation contained within the urban ambit, both vast and minuscule. Iris and I were the creation of parts of an amorous whole or a composite beast that could express nothing more frightening than love's unrelenting desire for beauty. Whether in the symmetry of agreement or the symmetry of judgment, we were blushing. When Iris lays herself open, the walls are not covered in aristocratic textiles, but in paper collage. When a secondary surface, a relief, a tourist in the hallway. When her neighbors listen to each other's organs, when the walls are that thin, they do not withstand the mere imprint of a thumb. When she does not listen to reason. When the walls become a simple refinement lacking description. When she regains her period, when the slut, when the moment, she pays for her deep critique of this system with pleasure, a bacchant, a strumpet of care. There is no loop stitch. When the shallow imprint of a thumb, when the thin walls continue to allude to impossible refinement, when differentiation might have isolated moments, when she had little exact knowledge of where she was living, when this where was a moment in thinking, Motion was intrinsic to the simple substance. There was no communication. The vessel was floating fathomlessly. It was a subject. Then it was an embodiment of time and place, the law of the moment of which we could have little exact knowledge. It was always before or behind us. 
Small lights emerging in a curve along a dark highway. Ephemeral, losing, immoderate. In pointless fog, extinguished. Slipping forward into periphery, focal, astir. Slight and clear. Headlights appearing as inverse asterisks, omitted matter. Night's total assurance signals their fleetingness. Receding, insistence, recoiled amber highway lines in the rearview mirror. Taught forgery, explicit and empty. The man reading, the woman with, the man working. Great invisible body of this connecting preposition, the highway. Prepositions relating weaponry to containers, conveying. Small lights approaching as weaponry and receding as containers. Iris lies in bed. Iris lies in connecting matter. Iris lies abundantly. Iris does not rise. I conjured myself as a cue, a cloud, a beacon, a whisper, a bird call, une berceuse, une rumeur. I suppressed my language when we reached the border. We waited in the car under photo radar. We answered questions. We had never had another name. No criminal records, no pardons, no, what, no activity whatsoever. I suppressed my feelings. I responded blankly and calmly to sarcasm. The silence of sustainability is furrowed with traces of queer feelings. This performance of our disappearance, numbingly well-practiced and routine. Iris pocket dials me repeatedly along the I-87. She's sleeping on her phone. It is 10 a.m., it is 8 a.m., it is 11 a.m. Structural distortion caused by a frozen binary becomes more pronounced in the nation. Silence gathers around leafless scenery. Iris refuse le pouvoir de sa solitude, yet the silence of sustainability is no action. No action alone is sustainable. Wedged in the interstice between action and doubt, we are never so secure as to think we have abandoned bitterness entirely. We pine for action, we abandon commerce, we choose abandonment over abasement, we do not rise. We refuse to hold out our hands, we refuse to ask. Iris holds back. Iris does not rise. Abandonment is unheard, the motion of an ear. I lay on my back. I turned my head, pressing an ear to the floor. I looked over my left hand, running a finger along the baseboard. I looked into the endeavors lost to silence. I think I'm just going to read one more part, uh, short part. So at the end of this poem, I'm going to read the, there's an epigraph that appears at the end, um, but it sort of connects this part to another part, but I'm just going to read it at the beginning here. And it's from a poem um, it's called something like Sketch for a Financial, uh, finan uh, Sketch for a Financial Portrait of the Cell, something like this, by J.H. Prynne. Um, and it's like this. The name of that is, of course, money, and the absurd trust in value is the pattern of bond and contract and interest, just where the names are exactly equivalent to the trust given to them. The first impression a name makes is as a motif, the talon or claw of an animal. Its sex is civilized in the bureaucratic form. The name is easily replaced, or it is the unattainable extreme of any designation. The name is a property of invention. Imperial, it is indifferent to heat and cold. The name in its powdered state presents us with an opportunity to share instant refreshments in a waiting room surrounded by magnificent flowers. The name is a trace of placation in the hierarchy of desires. It slips between choice and another's indication of belonging. A door, any name rotates on the axis of identity. A lack of name would mean to have no place. A name is any number of cities. Wind drives its enactment. A name is any number of exits. Ornamental letters are created from rows of flat stitching. 
The maximum strength of any geometric pattern depends on a balance of tension vectors. Then I may cease to address you by name. This name is like the dyed wool of living sheep. A row is formed first by making the stitches meet, second by making them touch along their length, partly or completely. The names form a chain back and forth, fasten, tie, tack. They draw attention to the, the embodiment of patterns. We formed the borderline between the name and its debt. The name owed everything to the chain. Monochrome was the error of its conception. The fastening of ecstasy stripped of its color. Credit was rapidly forming fresh public opinion. What is said about glass and its hardness can also be said about currency. The name is distributed against a monotonous background of vibrating color. I could name the exquisite principle that sustains diversity. This eye names the level opposition between extremes. Iris is as much a name as an archive, a situation rightly unaided, velvet. There were rules with fine vents impervious to representation. There were remarks as wrong as their identities. The name was an exception. It's designed something hanging down, mediating a contrast between head and ground. This is the gravity of your name when the sun enters your constellation. This is how absolute formal beauty serves every technical purpose. Thank you. So I have memories um, that are mixing together of Cedar Saigo reading from very nice um, handmade looking portfolios at um, different house readings in San Francisco when I lived there. And it's all blurring together in my mind as I was describing to him hanging up a photograph of the Golden Gate Bridge in my room, very nostalgic for this sort of waft of San Francisco that's with us tonight. Um, Cedar Saigo's object of the poem on the page really made an impression with me back then. And his new book, Language Arts um, from Wave, there are these sort of big title sizes, as though each poem could be this core curriculum for a mystery spot school. And the voice of Cedar's poems seemed spontaneous but constant especially with his lines, these umpteenth translations, and he calls the poem a lovely new control panel. There's something really classic um, in Cedar's work, especially in his book-selected writings. He's the only poet who's ever had the line, I love you, at the end of a poem that wasn't weird. It's really amazing how he pulled that off. Um, and his poems work in tandem to each other, and each poem feels highly independent, as if based on many discrete, intimate conversations or trips or returns. There's also a poem in the new collection about a Philip Lamantia action figure, um, or getting inside strangers' um, mansions, sort of my image that comes with his poems. Cedar writes, bird calls cutting each other off on a mixtape as if always easily theorizing on the poem inside of itself, which becomes most apparent in the rare and delightful shifts to his prose. Cedar writes, cities are huge machines for sorting poets and poems are perfect laid back time machines. Saigo's work is often something to keep you company on the mountain range of loneliness, and the poem is cut off or suspended in order to make sense of a slowed observation. Like, he writes, the right-handed writing with the left. Cedar's poetry is invested in the portrait a poem might provide. His work is admirably focused, spotlighting this one thing or person or moment or thing and person combined idiosyncrasies of less appealing nature become the force field of compassion, empathy, and intrigue. All entrances are warped. That could be the slogan if the poetry wanted some creepy salesman. Sparseness, I read when at first alone in my notebook as spornness when I was taking notes on Cedar's work, 
but I like sporeness better. But Cedar's sparseness of his line length and words um, reminds me of this sort of chiseled language better than any sort of gym muscles. So please help me in welcoming Cedar Saigo. Hello. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Ariel and Angela and to Diana and to Brian. Um, yeah, I'm going to start. I'll read uh, from Language Arts, and then I thought I would read probably half new poems, too. Yeah, you're right about these titles in this book. I always felt like I was like reading my own poems at a drive-in. Um, this is called Marble Harbor for Bill Berkson. The apartment feels like newspaper headquarters, orange light facing off the brick. It's Clark Kent coming into work. We call him the poet as he brings us the unknown, anything that possesses him. A second castle drawing, ink, engravings of Gonsborg, abacus, earplugs, empty spools, slivers, a gold mine outside a mansion under a palm tree. Lust is the main distraction I find. It seems to interrupt the flow. December the 22nd, colored by and by. It's like that in the crawl space. Lines are more ribbon than wood. One does see the Sphinx, but the Sphinx stands for a secret, gods or circulating forces. I never knew anyone with a profundity of tact that came close. We all know we are just playing house. Oh, blessed plain, oh, pointed chasm, new feudalism, distillation of a night the poets would pay for, Amish apple butter and snow we kept for you in our freezer, sweeping my unruly works into a book laid side by side, I just see dollar signs, a love whose burning light shall warm the winter night, that's all. Imaginary apparitions. Here comes my Chinese rug, success. Here comes my face, it's plain desire. I swallowed the mirror, had nothing to wear. Old flame, second wind, pilled out last hangers on. The dead stock lilies opened overnight. Cobwebs brighter than the light golden west, shoot. I was tripping down, breathing in the torn black seabed's revenge, half a glass rising in smoky mountain hymns in lines, willow, coyote bush, coffee berry. Paris. I can disappear before your eyes, killing you, I slay you with my eyes, you disappear. That's how I would remember that line and how to write actually, certainly, stupidly. Only the ladies strumming language. They are not women, they are knights, wrestling these lines off the back of a knife. They have a second life spent in stone and so attended. Bomb the bridge to heat my hands, work their handlers in order go to the movies all day, only to collapse and focus, to finally hand off my faded flower. Caring and pointed, she brought me up and loosened my mind toward the checks and imbalances and cameos in Lucifer's Grotto. I remember a full-on Scottish plaid suit, the Gravitron sexodrome growing out of Apollinaire's grave, empty balcony seats, operatic little fills, the poems of a multi-billionaire, a vow of silence, fine and mellow, all the things you are. Verlaine Blues. The rain sweeps through town and I'm bleeding in pain. 
endless harping on strings of the rain, mixed blood and live copper wire stepping down among the dead gray leaves. The flowers can't face me with their heads snapped and nodding out. I'm so sick of the rain, it soaks to my heart. Bottomless sea of Galilee, banging around in the dark, blazing forth as an open grave. I am reborn upon this downpour of despair. I am embarrassed. I can't stand the rain. It falls upon the young, disenchanted and desperate, upon those dressed in black in mourning. Go away from my door. I've got time alone and trouble for days. Sometimes I get the blues when it rains. <laughs> Panels for the walls. Leave the long fall between us, peak after peak. Here were my paints and there were my powders. And then I was drunk and we lost each other. My shadow tumbled after, soaking cinnamon leaves in the lake of the moon. The roll of the damned drum calls me to duty, the dice in the light of the lamp. I hear a stone gong. I lean full weight on my slender staff. Yellow leaves shaken and petals confused to my garden. The hard road is written to music, how lovely locks in bright mirrors in high chambers. The moon shows further a gold and silver terrace. The northern grass is blue as jade, a dream venting in the pit of heaven. Plains Pictograph. I have been described as private. That's other people. You never really know. One year, I sent everyone a slice of the rose for Christmas. It was meant the way it sounded, withdrawn. Two fires on the high road whistling. The phone only echoes back my voice. Entrenched mirror, high-rise pathways, Pistol unit, sword, English glossing, street lights sniping back. Mothers, lock up your daughters, cut the light, shut the shade, hollow thy mountain. I think I still am, stirred mind, heard words, some of those nightmares, some of these days. Just a gigolo, solo, sears, free land, blow your gold leaf sweetheart deals and money to my love letters. Rivulets, tons, minutes to go, blinding ices, Jesus pieces, high praise. Um, this poem was uh, in the, uh, it was like a retranslation of Shakespeare's sonnets. I think half the people in this room are in this book. Um, but I got assigned number 35 and I uh, put in some lines from Ted Berrigan's Sonnet 35. Um, Fuck off with your crippling guilt. The earth has edges. Boys get thrown in fountains. Dusk is painted over the moon. The sun grows black in your sleep. Peel back your lotus to its bloody root. No one is beyond reproach except the Indians and still I twist your fault against my grip. My head spins when the old bull rushes, fills your whore bath past the brim of night. I suffer this reversal right beside you. I talk myself out of the song, I plead. Go to the sea, the lake, the tree. Hear the acid burn round my skull. You're so fine, I still play dumb, a zombie dust inside your lungs. Draw me in deeper with deceit and smoke. Let's go again. The Underwater Box Escape After dark, 
let hot blood run over my basket, remind me to ask him back. The edges of the flatware plated more than beveled, gilded, the first spring of light long as a lance lingers, whose pointed end tips the first floor, heart of the target, left of the lens, talking with himself between stations on foot, the call to battle but a whisper, a ribbon loose up and over the hill. Moondog turns back the children's crusade, his citizen cane junior blues instill bravery and blood weddings, webs, spirits drawn as upright flames tied to a masthead. They work in reverse off the waves, picking up where I slack off in Macau and Bolinas. My face most drawn at the shadow's end, corners of my mouth bathed in black, bouncing back. after self-help. All my rooms are alien. Towers of books tilt and crumble at the least extended breath, a matinee beyond recall. Brown birds pale-breasted darting through, too late, hello, later. Kiss the lights and they change out over the stardust. Cities are huge machines for sorting poets. Skating down the cellophane and folded hills, even cast off lines have their own pull and rhyme. Man at leisure, ripped out of my mind, lonesome after mine own kind. Hot black, soft white, warm reds. Mine a thinking man's cartoon western. Mine the one who enters the stories. Mine the evergreen tears brushed with coral. The boat in the box is mine, and mine the full sky. Dream. A curtain dragging gold rises on the big heat. Two words are fused to a bloodletting chain. How beautifully the brakemen allow the blood through. I rest on the slip of the black coral sea, steel quilted in lines wider than the streets, pinned as a wing or thin cord that he summons in order to drive us away, that glamour is an investment involving desire and unreality. The poems are perfect laid-back time machines, ground-blooming flowers, their endless pastel grime in streaks a blocking of my own in expertise, a tunnel blown down past the marble to brass and first to charge the shore, waving our shields, a castle left cooling to ruin and the islands will flower in and out. Uh, this is called the Omnichord for John Coletti. Vampires dreaming elephants are good lottery luck. Moroccan things, Casablanca, boy hustlers, hash, Brian Geisen, argan oil. Digging up the city of Poseidon, who are old money and quick to correct me. If you don't want, you lose the flow though. Several words, whole dream. Sirius is the dog star. Man, the sun just had a tornado, sable on blonde. I think it was you. A parasite got control of the speech, intricate landscapes, jewelry, all that. Assigned exercise. And I am the man that every sound in this room will come from a lovely new control panel. I am still finding my way. There is no protection, though one would be that at any cost for one's loves. Those harbor lights I've kept in line and still sidestep. Sparks off the halo reach a far wall. The desk is piled just right, mostly dream. 
I have scored a few extra fields, two with typed poems, sitting perfectly straight, no need to fuck and turn in early, after my smoke and simple hanging of the robe. I have been made messier, more myself, disgusting, maids, car and driver, trust, new ways for enforcing a long thread. Curtains flung, choir slanted drones on the wind. My sensitivity creates technique, the suite left open in slender gate, key doors shining forth, a level in concentration few can make it through, and Ed has it, and Jackson. Write it all down, hide it, before I hate the exhaust. The next day builders fit it all in to hear the actual words aloud. Language Arts for Dana Ward. Moose jaw times, Harold Metz, yellow bits. In a sprung for Yolanda game, you know I am boss. In the shade of the running board, sun, eagle, owl, diamond dove feathers take me down. Please stop this, I'm headed your way. This is the happiest unrelated night of my life. Look on the notes, see you pinning it on me. World of pain, games two and three, exceed in value as fits. There are so many poems to go around tonight. There is not one game in town. A bishop who ate the vessels, hid the words to gain his finish. A dust died up the sides, who fell into its rot, rekindled in words. Did you see how deep mine dug? Since when does she sing? She wrote her pool hall memoirs for money, as did Kafka, Chester Himes, and Valerie Larbeau. Spackle, you fuck. Build my fort and score the edges of my lozenge. Sized everlasting, mineral makeup, gray on camel tone, grayish. I, too, know what I am not. Watching electricity return to a town across the river, learned germs, fields of excised herrick, shaving faded flu lads, I still possessed a swiftness of spirit, Chinese bound in covers of hammered card, brittle Jewess, sour earthworm eggs, morning in keyport, a well, a jet of ink, after dark we wake again, picking clean stones from the beds of our teeth, etching with a ghost, dark red, brown, blue, black umbrella, I love strangers in an ailing mansion. That's how they've groomed the stars of today, as escorts. I saw so many people I used to know. I like my nice Portland white friends. They live to be super young, pretty sloshed professionals of the language. Leave our machines running in plain view, in space surveillance variations. Uh, Philip Lamantia action figure. But I always think uh, it could actually be Ariel Goldberg action figure. She, you look exactly like the young Lamantia to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I miss the old alchemist who was sane, precocious. What made tarot cards and fleur-de-lis chariots my heart to shackled towers. Fitted cap, fur coat and collar, long sleeve bodysuit, matching socks. I cast the mold and set him out to cool myself. Painted arched black eyebrows, mouth always moving in a bloodline. He can power punch plus his dream of weapons, a pickaxe, penknife and pistol. Setting sail like Henry Hudson or Magellan, only these are poets. Breton would be in a separate villain series. Estranged elegance, a tunnel, or strands of dead smoke parting ways. Green Rainbow Song 
hung up on my hearing and deep in whose playbook, one too many nights and never a blackout, doing the best I can, only a man, it hurts me too. Blues in the night, Verlaine blues, sitting here thinking a blues for Anne, all nerves and mind the most dirty, unhurried afternoon jags. A freshly penned lyric for sinking to autumnal Atlantean shade. I wish us more luck. I wish my little tiger lily sheltered in a clear crystal box being carried. Green pearl-handled mallets edging the annunciation toward a new burn. The chamber of maiden thought is metered. Big fields, villagers, stars on the back lot blues. It's the smoke spot I shade softest, a curve so tight it's really blind. The chamber gives way to the word, in this case, mine. Guns of the Trees. A set of notes detailing the caves of an impeccable gentleman, a minotaur poet, the most devastating silence of the first 10 books, a fantasy of Philip Lamantia as an action figure stripped naked with special audible scream switch buttons, reimagining Grace Cathedral as the great symphonic hall of coconuts. Oh, the book is resting complete in a Chinatown basement. A poem I puked drying out at a hot springs in love, winding through the dry hills of neem leaves. An exaggeration of music I thought younger poets admired. The trimmings I knew I could press new meaning in between. I was endlessly in the mood and working this lace front that words as force walk the earth. I tried to show a sailor bounding through his life in silhouette. I'd rather live on my own with my magic lantern. I'm sick of public schools that reek of church. Drink, fuck, breed, light the top shelf. Pressed green woods with light standing even straighter. He is standing on my eyelids and his hair is crossed with mine. Giving flat girders to the dream poem. It's all about the filthy paint of a room that empties out at night. Scotch tape wrapped words guarding fissures of light. Brackage and Bob Dylan jokes I wrote exclusively for money for the recluse. Fished out from the threshing odds and ends. A song I thought was lost, the lines were nothing on their own. A diorama whose language goes ahead to shatter the glass. Billion dollar kickflips in your honor. A poem named for a racehorse, named for weed. A perfect approximation of the opening smile. His poetry would make great bronzed Inuit blues. My feast was in the easy blood that flowed. A dark skittering travelogue I almost didn't type up. The most breakup-like drivel. Number 35 with lines from two sonnet cycles. Translations via telephone. Such civil war is in my love and hate. Lines in which I know the way the music lays. I back away from the wall. I wanted the deepest impression, a line torn from its plush root. Occupy damaged or inspired. They are reverse black Nazis in unfunded wheelchairs. I can't keep up. Wiping black snot onto white sleeves. Another last ditch genius fuck. The morning after a long night, hot in Fort Greene, back on the West Coast writing it, desk faces wall, a Chinese distillation to illustrate the offing, panels for the walls of heaven, really concealing its canals, haranguing the Provencal into a blues again. It closes too tightly, trample it down to its esteemed place in language arts in homage to his wealth and willingness to go down on his masters. A matter of course under Bismarck bridges, it's more a leaving off of the grime sometimes, entered cities of boiling red dust. Ode for Nine Voices. Earth seems the haloed side of a flat stone flaunting its gold-blooded diamond-back secrets, that we are all one, 
that we haven't the privilege or time to change our minds. I chance on a liar to liven the lights, to bear down up my coast, on rims to roll out. The mirror and corridor both have voices. They are without attendant siren. I was a Bellinus separatist poet, where the epigrams say more when cannibalized, held aloft in a fog of queer voicings, when the waves are altered to approximate the kiss and death and haunting in the woods behind the house. We shall restage Apollinaire's last hot march into evening air. Excuse my fragile spiral, excuse my horse cock unveiled in Byzantium. No longer alone in the hotel casino made famous by poetry, lashing every mixed feeling on black against the walls. The most incisive jagged script for 12 hands. One is trapped in vocoder delay and dates horribly. The first spasm blanks in the guns of the trees, each line peeled and bitten, brushed out from its paper. The poets in glowing lab coats, expository prose, lightning white arms crossed with strobes. I turn my spade to the inset language, turning up late every other night to demonstrate my own take on the sonnets, the lyric, even the most dividing, arresting arts of love. Um, this poem uh, was initially uh, dedicated to Amiri Baraka, and then I took the dedication off. Uh, I realized it sounded more like Leroy Jones. Uh, it's called Portrait in Black. Love is a trance anyway, poised Egyptian queen of the compound accent. The moon is down in the offstage dark and the demons in tears. Sipping La Heretique, long dead, half under the shade, they lie face down in the long passage. I go full on spaz, all asides, imperfect pitch, a sutra for hobbling harpsichord, cobwebbed keys thinner than reeds. The amp would cut out at key points in line with my little suede two-step. The service I provide is a more addictive series. Worn plots are left deep. Hung queens get hanged for the warm red crush. We have to talk in every room to solve the dream house, to consider which poems I will allow to be lyred and felt up, perused over shots, blunts in a smoke-stained study. My heart is the most fucked country a sketched, uneven valley grove of bones. You can only capture the poets and keep them lurking when everyone seems an undercover statuette of eruptions. May dies in June. The lady caps her brandy in wretched, unmistakable silence. And I'll read two more poems. Uh, Heat Waves in a Swamp. My arrows are stuck downstream. Trees lean like empty stalks on guard to the great morning star. Its beads of sweat are pure and black. I've come to say much that's been left out. I'm stealing less and less, camping out near the aqueduct, trading off either accent and popsicle sticks in crucifix. I'm drunk on bluebird wine and blues, wearing them lightly as elements go. I'm screwed, tattooed, and pulled out from the lineup, a jewel thief in from the cut, aching to walk the plank out back. I was booked in dreams, too, both legs up on the door, pulling the handle with my diamond choker straight dragging me down. I was considered less suspect with a family to support when selling out is full of virtue door to door shut with foreboding, no fear of death. I am thrown back as a bolt of knives, trembling so hard they cannot be held, born reversed as chimes in mid-rain. It was really a word spoken in the hand, a steel blue harp torn from the great hovercraft closet of lines, my whistled hunting songs, 
now bronzed, intoned, green. Again, she's gone. After the oracle, first time in a long time, the depth of impression is straight ahead. Overall condition noted, continued, change the angle of approach. The beam always widens and lightsabers surround the doorways to save us. I'm turning the poem around in my window for joy and there is no text begging to drop by allowing for such a thing so hot that setting sun rocks held by taut strings. The silk of furniture is burned alive by a futurist, a linoleum cut of a gash. Clean the spit valve, not often. Kit caught his bus, Emeryville, before a train to Portland to read. Tell them all hi. I cut the small black shadow of a jet and I'm moving it about the sky in the postcard. Mount Olympus blue, Bailey Range from Hurricane Ridge, right here with you after all night. Thank you. The Poetry Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org.